Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of The Omar Project. But before we get started, I want to make sure I invite you to join the OmarProject.com. That's spelled O-M-A-R, because you can get a lot of great insight on project management, the skills you need to up your game, and also learn from the best project managers in the world on the most complex projects. Hey, this is Omar with The Omar Project, and welcome Today, I am doing uh, another series on the PMP process. For those of you that don't know, the PMP process is a program really that's developed for people that are interested in learning about project management. So if you are somebody who wants to get your certification in project management, if you're somebody who is interested in having a better breadth and depth of knowledge about how project management operates, then this certification is something for you. A lot of times employers look for it because it's one way to certify that you've understood projects and that you've completed them, but it's definitely something that's a cool tool. A lot of people like to get it, so I'm getting into it. Now, if you've got more feedback, I need to know what you want to hear about because this is going to be one of the last sessions or this is actually my last session. If I don't get any feedback from people that are listening on what we can go into next. So let's just get started on one of the things I want to touch on, which is project integration management overview. And I was looking through this PMP book and I've got it up right here. This is the sixth edition of the PMP book guide, Project Management Body of Knowledge. And I want to get into the project integration management role and what that means for a project manager. And you can kind of boil it down to this. As a project manager, you are always integrating. Your entire role is really essentially to integrate everything together and then put out the outputs or organize it in a way so that it's comprehensible and digestible to leadership, stakeholders, et cetera. But you're not just doing that from a integration standpoint on just communications. You're doing that with technology, with information, with everything. And what I've noticed is honestly, I think sometimes people get stuck because they don't understand the full system. So today we're going to go through and make sure that you understand what is project integration from a high-level management overview. I'll touch through the seven sections, and then we'll go through in each of those and talk about them a little bit. So if you're ready, let's get started. I'm right now on page 71 of the PMP book, and it's project integration management overview. So let's start with what that means. So as a project manager, you're responsible for the entire process. The PMP often assumes that you started at the early stages of the project, which means when it's getting kicked off, it's chartered, and then you're starting to develop the project. That means that you have the entire project process to actually finish. It's still all ahead of you. So sometimes in reality, what happens is you may join a project and you've already joined and half the project is done. So they're already in the construction phase or they're in the execution phase. And that means that other stuff's not relevant. But for this exercise, let's assume you're starting a new project. It's a big project and it needs everything. And you're responsible for integrating the entire thing and planning it out. So you need to know these seven sections for sure because they're all going to be applicable to no matter what type of thing you're doing anywhere. The first is developing your project charter. The last episode I just spoke about was all about project charter and how to develop it and what that could look like in different organizations. If you're interested in, in listening to that, definitely check that out. You'll get all the, the kind of the details on that. And I'm not going to repeat that on this episode. The second portion of this is developing a project management plan. Now, this is essentially 
a little bit more detail than the project charter. The project charter kicks off the project. The project management plan is really a more thorough analysis of how you're going to implement the project. It has everything, including the project charter, outputs from other processes. It has enterprise environmental factors, organizational process assets, which just means how are we leveraging what we currently have in our business to do this? And then you may be pulling in data from other units. So for example, in a project development plan, you may be now talking to a quality expert in your organization saying, how would we set up the quality system, quality plan for this? And it's not actually setting it up. It's what's the plan for setting it up for the project? And then as you move in further along in the project, you'll get to setting it up and kind of getting to the nitty gritty details of it. The output of this is usually, now let's say we have a, a large project, which might be a $100 million project. The output would be a document that could be a pretty lengthy document that has subsections of each of these relevant things for your project. So this in itself is typically an activity on a $100 million project that could take months to do and different organizational leaders to help you punch this through. If you're the PM on this, then you're actually reaching out to the team that you're starting to develop to help you put this together. The next area in integration is direct and manage the project work. So this is where you start saying, okay, this is the project management plan. Here are all the documents. We've done some studying on what we need. Here's kind of what has been approved. And then this is how we're going to do it. So this is where you start breaking down things into deliverables. So large scopes of work. At this point, you may have a WBS structure. A WBS structure is a very common language. If you're going to be studying for the PMP, you need to know what it is. I'm not going to get into the super nitty gritty on this, but I'll give you an overview. WBS structure is called a work breakdown structure. All that means it's a hierarchy of how you develop the work. So if you're in a project and it's hundred million dollars, it goes according to like the task levels. So the first thing is your entire project is level one, right? Then that level one breaks into, let's say for a hundred million dollar project, it's replacing a bridge that's, you know, where we're going to install a new bridge. That's your overall, basically that's the scope of your project. But in that, you have many different areas. You've got the design and engineering of it. You've got the actual construction of it. You have the commissioning and then operating it, right? So you have all these different phases. So in this project task, you would break these out into your major phases and then just have those things break down another level to your other activities that need to happen. And it really is activities. And that's how it's kind of talked about in the industry is what activities are you doing in each of these phases or these hierarchies? All of that will roll up into one overall line item, and it'll basically be like something you can expand or contract and see kind of what's happening in each of those phases. So that would be a WBS, and you probably want to have that at least a high-level one at this point so you can see what are the major activities here and how would I actually resource this project appropriately in order to do that. The next thing in your project integration overview is managing your project knowledge, your, your data. This at a $100 million project is so critical. Now, this is where the people that have been working at smaller projects that are like, whatever your small project is for you, it could be $20,000, less than that. This is where you're going to be like, wait, what? Yeah. So when you have huge projects, $100 million for sure, billion dollars, 100%, you've got hundreds of people on your team dedicated to completing these missions, these project goals, right? Communication and the transfer of knowledge from one department or one organization to the other 
is extremely critical. What's interesting is that when you're setting up, you know, your project body of knowledge, you can have a baseline of how you set it up, but all of these questions come into play. Because say you hire a contractor, right? And they give you information one way when you're doing, let's say, engineering. When they do their PDFs, they have a certain numbering system that they call each thing and say it's like XYZ contractor, and then we label it dash one, two, three. As simple as that is, and as rudimentary as that is, that can become a huge issue down the line because think about how many packets of data you're producing on a hundred million billion dollar project. It's literally tens of thousands of documents of pages of things that need to be checked by all these different people. So just that little bit of process data flow, if it's not appropriately labeled or if people don't understand the labeling mechanism, like why do you label it like that? And does every organization understand what that labeling means? You're going to have a nightmare when it comes to trying to sort these things and trying to organize them in a way with what you're doing. So data management is actually very critical for these larger projects because of the tremendous amount of data that's generated. And typically, it's something that can fall to the back burner. Like, okay, we'll just follow whatever everybody else has. But it's not that simple because at the end of the day, say you've now moved into past starting the project up and now things are already being generated by that contractor, XYZ, you've got 10 other contractors and they've all got their different systems in place and they're all already starting to generate work and documents and paperwork. And now you realize like, oh yeah, I'm the main company here. I'm leading this. I should probably have like a system in place to organize all things. Can you guys change your organization to this numbering scheme or like this system so we can use it? You know what they're going to do? They're going to hit you with some change orders. They're going to say, look, we've already issued all these things out. It's going to cost more money. Now, it does depend on the contract you have, but these, this portion right here, which is your data knowledge, that's got something that needs to be built into your contract before you start issuing out contracts with your significant amount of documents are being produced. So I've dived into that a little bit because I know from experience, this one can be something that you think, oh, how can I have a risk here? And it can come up. So definitely something to be aware of when you're doing a project. And that's just all information. That's just data flow. And these larger level projects, it's also, okay, how are we actually communicating the data to each group? And thinking about what's the right cadence, what's the right cycling, how do you meet with your teams? How is a team overall meeting? All that stuff has to be planned out. And as a PMP, if you're in an organization that's doing a billion dollar project, you're going to have people that have done it before or a system in place. So you can use a lot of that. But this is also the flavor of the PMP. Like if you're a PMP or if you're a project manager and you like sitting with people more and having that face-to-face discussion, so you can be like, hey, where's the document? Like, where's it at? then you want to have that set up in a different way, where some people are more hands-off and they just want to have report outs. So this is very dependent on the type of PM you are and how you like to see information and how you want it to flow. Let's move on to the next one, which is monitor and control project work. This is 4.5. Now you've got your teams all working. They're all delivering. You've done a great job negotiating with your contractors and you've said, hey, this is a scope. I feel really comfortable about it. This is what you guys are going to go do. Now, here comes a part where you can also feel like, oh, I'm out of the woods now. That was tough. Like, we figured out, finally, I got all my bosses to agree, we're going to go do this, and now we're going to go do it, and then in a year, we're going to be solid, and everything's going to be done, and I gave it to the contractor, and they're going to come back, and everything's going to be perfect. Not so fast. That's not how, that's not how project management works or how real world works. 
What's going to happen more than likely is you're going to give scope to a contractor. They're going to come back and have questions. They're going to come back and have, hey, have you thought about doing it like this? Hey, could we do it like this? Or they're going to come back and run into challenges along the way. And those challenges with a great contractor, they may be able to come to you and they, they may be more proactive. But oftentimes there's this tension between challenges that come up and the contractor maximizing their profit. And this is where the report out is so critical because reporting out allows you to understand that, yeah, you may be having issues, but I know that you're on top of solving them and you're solving them at a pace that's acceptable. That is really what's critical for managing your contracts because understanding the report out structure for all of your different vendors, all your contractors is essential to you having a completed project. Elon Musk says this all the time when he talks about, if you've ever listened to one of his investor calls on any of his products, like any of his car products, his vehicle from a project standpoint, the critical path sometimes falls through some supply chains, which means it falls through his vendors, his contractors. Say they have an order with some solenoid or some control valve vendor manufacturer. They might have 10,000 pieces for one car, but if two of those pieces don't arrive on time, their car cannot produce. It gets to a standstill. So understanding and progressing and making sure you understand where your vendors are at is essential because the same thing can happen to you in another field. If you've got all these contractors that are saying they're going to deliver these things, and definitely one of these contractors will be in your critical path by nature of a project. If one of them doesn't hit it, then your whole schedule gets thrown off completely. Like you can't hit your schedule. All of a sudden you have to go back to your, your management and say, look, I can't hit my schedule. The first thing they will ask you, and this is what I would ask, how have you been tracking your project? So, hey, Omar, show me um, over the last, all of a sudden this guy's showing up late. Like you're, this contractor is now late. How have you been managing them over the last six months? How come you just found out now? And if you don't have a good control scheme on monitoring your work and your project, you're not going to be able to answer that question. And if you're in a billion-dollar project, $100 million project, and you can't answer that question, then you're not qualified to be a project manager. You shouldn't be there. That's just as simple as it is. This is essential bread and butter of what a project manager does, what you're doing in these management roles, and it's critical to the success of the organization. This is a, a key part. I spent a lot of time there. Let's move on to the next portion, which is 4.6. Perform integrated change control. Okay, as part of an integration project manager, you have to put this hat on your head that says, okay, we can always make changes. However, there's a cost associated. You have to fundamentally understand the cost that other folks may not understand. And let me put this another way. If you're a project manager for a $100 million project or a bigger, big project, every person in your team is going to have their own view of what they want. Your structural guys always want things to be a little bit stiffer, a little bit, maybe a little bit bigger factor on their engineering. Your process engineering guys, they may be a little bit more conservative on certain things because at the end of the day, they're responsible for the success of the project too in their field. So everybody wants to have a little bit of margin. They want to feel like what they're delivering doesn't impact their scope. Really, once you start defining scope, you're trying to avoid impacts because everyone now becomes their own mini project manager and they're all trying to hit their schedule. What will happen is you'll have a lot of times instances that come up like, hey, we've got an issue. 
like we're realizing that the design on this one thing that we're doing is actually an issue and it's not it's not functional and there's a couple ways we can solve it we can solve it on the structural side we can solve it on the control side we might be able to solve it on this side but at the end of the day somebody has to take the hit some group has to do the fix for us maybe multiple groups and we have a couple of options on how we can do that this is why it becomes critical that the project manager is just not somebody that's that's just going along and just pushing things forward, you have to be incredibly aware of what's going on in each group and the impacts, underlying impacts of them. Because if you choose the wrong one, you may be delaying your project further or you may be hurting yourself in ways that you don't know. For instance, you can also have good ideas defer you. So change control can happen because you have incidents where like, okay, we're designing something and didn't work out. We have to fix it. Okay, you've got to do something there. Sometimes you have brilliant ideas come up. Like you have somebody in your team that's like, hey man, if we did this, we would really be able to save X amount of money if we did it right now. And you're like, oh, well, that's a great idea. But the rule here is as a project manager, you're an integrator. So you have to always be thinking about how is this impacting the overall, the mission, the goal of getting this thing done? And how does this impact the team? Because there's also team dynamics at play. So in this case, sometimes people come to you with brilliant ideas and the ideas, although they can save you money, they can actually be more disruptive in the implementation of the idea to the overall project goal or create more risks that become loose ends that need to be tied off that can kick off this huge round of scope of work to where you accept this change and all of a sudden you're like, wow, you know, it's like that saying like no good deed goes unpunished. I just thought I was saving the company a million dollars by doing this, but I've just realized it's having all these other impacts. So truly integrated change control is having a system where you can absorb the things that come in at you that you know will happen because there's things that always are never perfect that you have to fix and have a process for how you can analyze that and decide. And then also it's on the flip side, it's have a process to where good ideas can live, but maybe not get implemented and be okay with that in your team. Cause that's part of team culture as well. Like, Hey, that's a great idea, but do an analysis. Does it actually make sense? And sometimes you're the only person that can do that analysis. Not everybody has the vision or the, the ability to see how it impacts every other little domino that you have in your project. So that's a little bit about change control. I want to close this now with the last one, which is 4.7. This is the closed project or phase. Now, I write an article about this phase because I think I titled it why the last 20% of the project is the hardest. and there's two parts of this. In a project, always understand like the cycles, right? So you have different phases and then you go from the initiation all the way to the end. And in between, you have all these little phases that have to get completed, right? Well, as you complete each phase, you have to close those out. If you have a long project that's two or three years, you may actually have different teams coming in in different phases. Well, closing out phases typically is not, it's not the fun part of the job. Let's be real. I'm going to be frank with you guys. Closing out phases is something that requires a lot of documentation. It's kind of getting your I's and, and T's crossed. It's a intense exercise of making sure everything's there for the next person. And honestly, sometimes you're already on to the next job and you're already thinking about that. And it doesn't add a lot of value to you in your day to day because you may already know what's happening and you're very aware of what's happening, but it would add a lot of value to anybody coming after you or to the business. So. 
Closeout, and I'll tell you a story about Closeout because I struggle with Closeout. I struggle. I still, I mean, it's still something I have to push myself to do, but I've struggled with Closeout previously when I first started getting into projects. And my boss was like, you're doing the fun part of the job. And he didn't say it like this. He said it much more professional, but he's like, you're doing the fun part of the job and you're, you know, you're, you're knocking it out of the park, but you got to do these couple of things at the end as well, because you have to close it out and get into a spot where it's like really well documented and all these things. And I was like, yeah, but it's just, it's just a ton of work. You know, I was trying to give him like reasons why, like oh, the closeouts just, you know, there's other things coming up that are more important. He's like, look, just do it once your closeouts, do this, do that. And then it'll become easier and easier as you do it because you'll have a template, blah, blah, blah. You just modify it. I did that. And he's right. It still sucks. Like closing out things to me, it's not fun. But it's part of our jobs as project manager, and it's essential. That's the thing. It's not just part of our jobs. It's not a nice to have. It's an essential thing to do because it doesn't just impact your immediate organization. It impacts the future decisions that your organization could make. The reason closeouts are so important in larger projects is because you have a lot of people moving in and out. And when you have documentation that shows, here's how we thought through this problem. Here's how we thought through the solution. Here's kind of all the plans we have in place. Here's what we want to intend to do. When you're ramping on 300 people on a project, do you think as a PM, you're going to have enough time to have you and your leadership team go through and train up everybody on that project? There's no way. So having proper closeout gives you the flexibility to just keep moving forward and keep pushing forward and doesn't slow you down in the future. So it's essential for proper handover. And it's essential as another tool. Say for instance, and this happens all of the time, you're in the middle of doing a project. And like we said, projects are phases. You've gotten into the first phase, so you're in identify, you're in select, and you've got a concept in place. And now you're designing the concept. So say you're an early feed and you're about to go to what they call FID, which is final investment decision. So that's when you present the overall numbers. It's very firm numbers. It's like a lot of work has been put into the project to get it to this point. And all of a sudden, you bring it to that table and they say, you know what? We're not going to go forward with it. So it happens all the time. It's part of our job is to do the best work we can do and then bring it to the board. And then the decision will become the business's decision whether they want to do it or not. And a lot of reasons why they can cancel the project, right? So say they just cancel the project and say, no, we're not doing that. Thank you for all the work you did. Please close this project and let's get it in a good state. Let's close it at the next phase. And then that's it. No more work done. So you didn't get approved to go to the next phase, which would be finishing the engineering, then constructing. Well, here's what happens if you do a good job closing it. If you come back and say, okay, well, that sucked, but I'm going to close everything out, get everything really squared away. I'll have everything. It'll be well documented what we did, why we did it, all the resources that we put into it the thought process we had. And if somebody wants to come back in later and they pick it up, boom, they can look at everything. Well, what happens when you do that great job at closing out? And then a year later, your CEO comes to you and says, hey, Omar, and you're already doing something else. You're like moved on, right? And he comes, hey, Omar, you know what? The business market's changed. We really want to pick that project that you were working on right back up. Do you think now you can hit the date? But now he's like, but can you do it this much faster? Because he's like, didn't you already do all that work? Here's a difference of how you're going to respond if you did a like awesome job closing it out. You're going to be like, yeah, I'll pick it up. I got all the information there. We'll just pick it back up, ramp up a team, and we're going to go attack it. And I'll, just, I'll have to just reanalyze to make sure the markets haven't changed that much. 
you're going to relook at your schedule, you relook at your cost. All those things will change in a year slightly or maybe a lot now with inflation, who knows, but with commodity prices. But you're going to look at that. And you'll be able to just keep going. If you just said, oh, they said, no, I'm stopping. Everything else stops. Roll everybody off. No real completion. No checking to make sure all the T's and I's were crossed. You have a lot more work on your plate. And when they come to tell you that, you may be backtracking three months to four months just to try and get back up to the speed because in a year's time, two years time, you're not going to remember what you did or why you did it. So this closeout process adds value to the organization and it could add value to you if you find yourself in that situation. All right, guys, I went a little long today talking about all this PMP stuff, for project integration management. There's so much more we could talk about in project management or if you're studying for the PMP exam. I really want to know if this helped you. This will be my last PMP mini series because I really need to get feedback from you. I want to understand what you want to hear about, what you want to learn about. And if not, I've got plenty of other things to talk about from personal experience or things that I'm interested in that I can talk about. So I'm really doing this for you if you want to take the PMP and you don't want to read through this massive book and understand this. So I'm happy to walk through it with you guys, but you got to let me know what you want to walk through. Otherwise, yeah, this will be the last one. So put it in the comments. Let me know. And yeah, be looking forward to, to seeing what you have to say. All right, guys, check it out. I'm out. Thank you, guys. Have a good one. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed the episode. If you'd like to hear more, you can join us at theomarproject.com. That's O-M-A-R. We have a lot more information on project management, technical skills, on the leadership, and also you can hear from more of the top experts in the field. 